film and television. Merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. Super excited. Um, but I say that every week, so you're used to it. But I'm really happy today because I'm joined by someone who is a incredible force within my life creatively um, and within this industry. So today I'm talking to Floyd Marshall Jr., who is all over the place. He is the founder of the Independent Film Association in Philadelphia. He's the founder of the IFAP Awards Film Festival. He's the founder of the Film Collective. He is a producer. He is a writer. He is a director. And most importantly, to me, he is my mentor with Start With Eight Hollywood, which has a really, really simple premise. I don't know if you've heard about it, but Start With Eight Hollywood is basically where industry professionals pledge to give their time and their insight to eight women of color to help further their careers. And as you know, <laughs> women of color have a really, really hard time breaking into the entertainment industry um, below the line and above the line. So I'm very, very grateful to have him on today. So I'm really, really excited to have him speak with us today because we're talking about a really, really incredible film. So Floyd, what film are we talking about today? The autobiography of Malcolm X, a Spike Lee joint. Yay! Yes. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about this film because I feel like in the 90s, like we had so many great films. There's so many good black films in mm -hmm. the 90s. Like we had like Friday and we had Boys in the Hood and we had New Jack City and Dead Presidents and all of that was talking a lot about not necessarily, you know, ghetto pride and family and found family and, and, and ownership and the grittiness of the city, but it was also giving a lot of the spotlight to African-American cinema. And I don't think we've had that kind of renaissance in cinema for African-Americans since, but I'm excited that we're talking about this today because it's such a formative film for me and an educational film for I think a lot of folks because as you know I'm sure like the media spun a lot of things about Malcolm X that were oh, yes. exaggerated untrue and as things kind of start to you know if every, as everything comes out in the wash you know decades later um, we're discovering that there's a lot of half-truths that served a particular community so mm -hmm. tell me why you loved this film oh gosh Oh wow! <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> I I loved I loved this film because it really spoke to to black power, and it spoke to someone who was so grounded in who and what he was, and to be that grounded at that particular time in the country's history was amazing because you didn't have too many figures. Black figures that were out front like that, that were willing to really put everything, including their life on the line for an idea and for the advancement of Black people. So mm -hmm. when, I, when I saw that, well, let me, let me go back for a little bit because I initially read the book 
the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. Uh, I read mm-hmm. that when I was in the military, uh, a brother um, whose who squadron that I was in, I, I was in the military in the Navy. And one day uh, he saw me sitting, sitting around waiting for something to do. And, uh, you know, he, he said, you know what, Floyd, um, come here for a minute. I'm like, what? He said, you know what, brother? He said, you, you seem like a, a, a pretty good brother. He said, let me, let me, let me put you on to this book. And he said, um, because I see you guys walking around and, you know, cause that's what public enemy was really big. And mm-hmm. you know, we were really Afrocentric and I'm walking around with my Malcolm X t-shirt, you know, by any means necessary, but not really understanding why. And yeah. he handed me that book and that book. And, and I, and I say this with all truthfulness, that book changed my life. Wow. And and I mean that sincerely because it, it was kind of like getting the um, pill in the matrix and waking up. And yeah, fast forward to the film, the film just reinforced everything that the the book said. It didn't go into as much detail because as a film you can't do that. But Spike Lee did such a phenomenal job touching on all of the major points. Of, of Malcolm's life that um, it, it was just an amazing film to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people aren't familiar with, with um, Alex Haley's work. And even just because this is an autobiography, we've got Roots and we've got Palmerstown, we've got Superfly TNT. And mm-hmm. just there's such power behind it and such good explanation behind that and humanity behind yes. that, that especially someone as, as, influential and as targeted as Malcolm X was and was during his time and and still is um, to this day, I think that there was a a really, like he took us out 30,000 feet and then kind of really brought us down to an eagle eye view of the man that he started off with and the man that he became. And I think that's a journey that is incredible not only in the ways that it was explained and the ways that visually that Spike had done it, which I think was handled very deftly. Um, but where do you feel that in this translation of the book, either from the book to the film or even either or, how you feel that it changed your life? It, it really changed me because it really gave me permission to be a black man unapologetically a black man and a strong black man and not be afraid to be that in the face of white people mm-hmm. because you know living living where we live in america there there was always that that programming that even though you know you were an adult sometimes when you would get in certain rooms you would diminish a little bit yeah but it, it just is what it is. But, um, and then, you know, I was young, but watching that film and just seeing the way he stood up and just looked them in the eye and, and, and talked to them as an equal, oh girl, they couldn't stand that. And, and it was just, <laughs> it was just beautiful yeah. how he was like, you know what? this is me. This is who I am. I'm here. I'm not going away. I'm not apologizing for it. I don't give a fuck if you like it or not, but I'm not altering anything in my DNA to fit into your box. 
And when mm-hmm. I saw that, I said, okay, okay. And it, and it kind of reinforced because my father was, was, was very big on teaching us the true history of our people. And just watching one of the figures that, as you said earlier, they put out such misinformation on. Let's take by any means necessary. So they just put that particular part of the slogan on a shirt by any means Mm -hmm. necessary, but Mm -hmm. not the entire thing that he talked about. And basically what he was talking about was, I will defend my family by any means necessary. Because when your father is dragged from the house and thrown on the railroad tracks and killed, and Mm -hmm. now they're coming for you, he was like, I'm going to do what I need to do to protect mine. And anyone can relate to that because if you come in for mine, look, somebody ain't leaving out here alive. Mm-hmm. You know, it may, it, I, might, I might not leave here alive, but guess what? You ain't leaving here either because mm-hmm. when it comes to my wife and my children, all bets are off. So when you started to get the real true story, the 360 to 60 degree story, you were like, oh, this dude, this dude was even doper than what I thought. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just him being unapologetically black mm-hmm. is what really resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it happens to a lot of figures of color where either society or the media gets to cherry pick some bites, um, things that were either written or in prose or, or what have you to fit a narrative. It still goes on today. I mean, we're right mm-hmm. with it <laughs> today which is why, you know, we're constantly confused. Um, yes. But I think that for for Malcolm X, and especially in that, when you say, you know, being proud, I mean, we have this whole, we've got public enemy, we've got fear of a black planet. And in that era where we were having a lot of black cinema and we were unapologetic, we've got to be unapologetically black. How do you feel that what you gleaned from either Alex Haley's work or, from Spike's work, how do you carry that into your daily life, either as you're a Black man or approach to your art as a Black man? (laughs) Well, you know (laughs) what? Take all the time you need. (laughs) It it, it really has allowed me to be extremely outspoken Mm -hmm. about certain things, so much so that I'll just tell you a little story. I, I had this um, film festival, the uh, Philadelphia Independent Film Awards. And, you know, I'm, I'm very active on social media. So one year, um, and I think that's when um, Dude Who Shall Not Be Named was running for, for uh, the highest office in the land. I was really, really, really vocal yeah. about how I felt about him and about the people that followed him. And the host actually had to inbox me and he said, you know, I, I feel your passion, but but you want to have to tone it down a little bit because, you know, you're you're um you're trying to accomplish something and you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot because this this was this is my thing and it still is to today. And it may or may not have played a role in me getting sponsorships or not. Mm-hmm. I am not going to bite my tongue. I'm not fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. Because if I feel as though there is an injustice 
regarding Black people or people of color, LGBTQ, anything, I'm going to speak on it. And that film really gave me permission to really start doing that, to be Mm -hmm. vocal and to be outspoken and to not just sit on my hands if I saw something regarding us that I did not like. Mm-hmm. Because again, going back to him in the 60s, for you to stand out in front of all of those people who you knew hated you mm-hmm. simply because of who you were and that you did not fear them and you spoke your truth, fast forward to you know the late 80s, the early 90s, and even now, who am I in, in, in this country to, to not say anything and to not keep that legacy alive of speaking up in the face of injustice? And especially now, mm-hmm. because you see how this country is now. It's a mess. And, yep. you know, you have so many white supremacists that are just so emboldened to think that they could just say and or do anything and there's no pushback. So for mm-hmm. me, if you come in this direction, I'm going to give you two airfoils and a handful that send you on your way. So mm-hmm. to, to, you know, to, to, to wrap it up, it allowed me to be outspoken and not give a shit about your feelings. Because why am I, why am I giving it, two cents about your feelings when you don't give them, you don't care anything about us. Right. So, so why am I, why am I biting my tongue and, and holding back? So that's what it's allowed me to do. And again, I don't know if it's hurt me, but the one thing I've always said, cause me and my wife talked about this. The one thing that I've always said was I don't ever have to have anybody give me anything because I'll be able to sleep at night. I'm mm-hmm. not going to not say something just for somebody to write me a check. Because, you know, since I've been doing this, I've always hustled and and gotten what I needed to get. It -hmm. may not look the way you would think it would, but it's worked out okay so far. It's been hard. But Mm -hmm. I said, I would rather be able to lie my head down and, you know, lie next to my wife and be a full man and not have compromised myself. Just right. because, oh, I'm going to bite my tongue because somebody will write me some money. You know, but fucking keep your money. I don't fucking need your money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't need it that bad. I don't need your check. God, I should. I'll send it back. Express mail. So that's what that movie, <laughs> that's what that movie, yeah, that's what that movie has allowed me to, to kind of do. And I think what's so incredible about that is that we still have this, there is a mentality and throughout what I've been seeing in the industry as someone who is you know, breaking into a lot of pieces of the industry. And when we Mm -hmm. had 2020 and we had the pandemic going on and we were at the height of BLM protests and just a lot of things going awry, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of people in this industry that were just like, oh, we want to hear from writers of color. Mm -hmm. We want scripts from writers of color. We want short movies from writers of color. And I think that's interesting because that, foothold didn't really stay (laughs) it didn't stay like they're like where is that energy 365 days of the year well it was never a foothold no it was nothing it was just box tick and look look at us we're doing we're doing things we like brown people and aren't we great 
And I think that that is so incredibly important that you are energetically true to yourself because there are a lot of people that are doing, that are still yes men and that are still not being a hundred percent honest with themselves and ethical mm-hmm. with themselves for the sake of getting paid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the industry still perpetrates that infantilism of black and brown people once they get into a room that they might not necessarily have a seat in, mm-hmm. but we need to be made to feel that we have made, but we have made space for you. So you should be grateful about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's a really great example. It was a long way around just to say, <laughs> just to say that I'm really happy that you, you do that because it's difficult. It, it is. And why would you want, I get it. There's a lot of money involved, but my thing is why would you want to sit at a table where they reluctantly gave you a seat, mm-hmm. but more importantly, they really don't want you there. They're just suffering your presence because the optics look good. Mm-hmm. I don't need that table because yeah. building things with people such as yourself and, and other phenomenal people that I've met, we're really finding out that we don't need their tables because with the way everything, and, and you know what really showed us that? The pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because the pandemic basically leveled the playing field. Because everybody, I don't care how rich and powerful and connected and in the industry you were, when that thing came around and they shut it down, everybody was on the same level. Couldn't nobody do anything. So mm-hmm. now you, you, you had all of these people sitting there saying, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And a lot of phenomenal creativity came out of that. I mean, I started my podcast out of that. Right. And, and, and so many other things, <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> it forced a lot of people that was banging and begging for a seat at someone else's table to say, you know what, now that they, they've shut that building down, how do I create income for myself? I need to do something. So I better get, I better get on it. And when people came out of that, cause we're slowly coming out of it, they're saying this, they're saying in themselves, well, hmm, I don't really need to sit at your table. And I'll just give you a quick example. A good friend of mine, Tamika Briscoe, she created uh, this, this web series called QT. It's on Tubi now. And she started it in the pandemic and everybody was in their own apartment. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's, it's streaming on Tubi going into season number three. Wow. That's she awesome. has raised, yeah, she's raised close to $80,000 wow. just on, just on Clubhouse, just amongst people that she met during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. in those clubhouse rooms. And now she's got people in Hollywood hollering at her. So we've figured out that I really don't need your table. I'll build my own and then sit at your table from a position of strength. Yep. And that's a harder, that's not a harder one to get through, but you know, you have, now you have someone who is on the, you've leveled the playing field. Now I stare eye to eye with you and I'm not here with my hand out. Right. Like I'm in a position of giving the charity and building out and building up as opposed to asking you to help me. 
because I've helped myself. And that's kind of something we've been forced to do in this industry. And I think, especially that we're talking about this film where we have young Malcolm, who is a too big gangster. When we start off learning about him and then taking him through his ministry, what is it about this film where, what is the part where you feel like it was the most formative piece for you or what scene that you were just like, that's what, that's what I need to be doing with my life now, or this is what I need to be living through. There was a scene. They were outside and I can't remember what was going on, but there was this long line of cops and you see all these black men marching in suits, lockstep military. And Malcolm is at the, the head of this group. And they march up to all of these cops. And then, I mean, and they're like this close and they turn all in precision mm-hmm. and, and, and they're like this to the police. And I can't remember, I can't remember what was going on in that scene, but I, I think somebody was in jail and, uh, or, or someone had been shot, a, a, a young black kid had been shot, something, something happened and, and, and the people were really upset with the police. But he marches downtown with this with this group of uh, black Muslims, and he's confronting the chief of police. They're like this close to each other, and you know, dude is heated, and Malcolm is just chilling, and they exchange words, and then uh, whatever transpires transpires, and at the end of that scene it got really tense and Malcolm just raised his hand like this and pointed and all the brothers just turned around and walked away. Yeah. And that man said, that is too much power for a black man to have. And I said, look at this mother right here. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. See, that's, that, that is, that is power. The power to influence people and to scare the living daylights out of people that have been subjugating you for so long because now they're understanding that, oh, snap, the mental chains are being broken. And see, a physical chain is strong, but a mental chain ain't nothing like a mental chain Mm -hmm. because a mental chain is way stronger than a physical (laughs) chain. And if I can keep you mentally shackled, I got you. Right. So when they saw him unshackling so many black minds, they were like, oh, see, we got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They said, we, we, oh, him, King, Stokely, people like that, Mega Evans, no, Lord, and Jesus, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, we can't, we can't have that. Smart black people running around. No, no. Organized <laughs> black people running around. No, no, hundred no. percent. Yeah, that's what I like. Like I said, this is what I love about this movie. And and just to your point about the about mental the mental shackles of that, and mm-hmm. recognizing when you are being played, because I feel like especially we sit right now at an intersection of building our own tables, shaking the ones that we've been recently invited to, and then completely disregarding the ones that would not want us to sit there. And I think that 
if we can bridge that gap between finding people that will also shake those tables with us, that's where we can start to enlighten ourselves and enlighten others. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's still an innate fear of being the one that doesn't cooperate, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I mean, it's not necessarily a scary thought, but it is, you know, that we, we end up being this monolith, right? We end up being like, if you do it, then they all do that. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't cooperate, then you're just proving to the world that this is why they, people don't give you chances mm-hmm. because this, and then you can't cry about your opportunities because if, you know, we just need you to behave. So within this film and all of the fantastic scenes that there are, and his influence on the black men of that era. Is there any scene where you felt, I wish they didn't show it that way, or I wish I could know more about this, or I wish this was interpreted a better way? You know what? I, the scene where he dies, mm-hmm. I would have really. I mean, I know they couldn't have done it because you only have a certain amount of time in the movie, so you can't sit there and give the backstory as to how they planned that out. Mm-hmm. But I, I would have loved to have seen... Did you see Judas and the Black Messiah? I have not yet. <laughs> oh, then I can't tell you. I can't tell you. <laughs> There's, there, well, I'll, I'll be very vague. There's a scene in that movie where the powers that be go to Judas Mm -hmm. and they're talking to Judas about the betrayal that he's about to commit. And I kind of wish that that would have been something that they have visited in this movie, because Mm -hmm. I would have really have liked to have seen them talking to the black man that ended up taking his life. Not the one that they put in jail Mm -hmm. because that wasn't the right one. (laughs) <laughs> and it finally came out right. but the real guy that killed him because i would really like to know what would make you do that mm-hmm. to someone who is putting himself on the line to make it better for you what was missing that you would kill that black man. And I, when I saw that scene, girl, I cried like a baby. My wife was sitting next to me looking at me like I was, that I had lost my mind. But I was, <laughs> I mean, I was like, you know, the, 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 the heaving because it was so, it was so painful yeah. to see, to see that scene. But it's even more painful to know that a black man did it. Yeah. That mm-hmm. you, you thought so less of your brother that these white people could pay you to kill somebody that was trying to forward our people. What was in your makeup or mm-hmm. what was lacking within your soul that you could do that and be cool with it? That's what I would have liked to have seen him unpack. I, hey, do, do, do a movie where you, you do his life and what led him to that point where they were like, hey, go kill Malcolm X. I'm your man. Mm-hmm. I would have really have liked to have seen that unpacked. Yeah. as you know, growing up being Afro-Latina, being, my mother is Spanish and Mexican heritage. My father is Native American and Black and Irish. And, you know, being in this 
crossroads of trying to learn about and lean into the African-American aspect of my heritage. Mm-hmm. Because I've been told a lot, even growing up, and I've been told even now as an adult, like, you can't get that upset about what's happening to Black people. Like, why are you mm-hmm. angry? Why are you mad? <laughs> I get it uh, as of late, as, oh, as, as late of as last month. And it's like, you know, we can't be infuriated if it's not, you know, it's not happening to you specifically because you are biracial. What is it in people's particular makeups, especially in the era that we're living in now that makes us betray ourselves or makes us betray our forward momentum? Programming. Mm-hmm. Programming. There's someone that I talk to quite a bit. Um, she's my mentor. She talks about that a lot that the programming runs very, very deep. Mm-hmm. And one of her missions is to deprogram. So when you see the self-sabotage, example, did you see the Django Unchained? Mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh. The programming, <laughs> he, yeah. he, he was the epitome of a programmed person. Mm-hmm. that the only thing Black about him was the skin that he was residing in. So the programming, all right, I'm going to go out on a limb here. In his defense, <laughs> that is what he was raised up in, so he knew nothing else. Yeah. So that was his reality. So when mm-hmm. we got mad at we when we got mad at him, yeah, you can get mad at him, but then again, you really can't because if that's, what you were raised with from the cradle, you know nothing else. Mm-hmm. So you have so many of us that are still residing in that matrix, but you're being presented the pills, but you refuse to take them. Mm-hmm. Now, some of us have taken the pill and we're the ones um, being asked the question as well, well, why are you, why are you upset? That doesn't have anything to do with you, but it does. Mm-hmm. It does. And see, that's what you and your whiteness don't get mm-hmm. because crazily enough, you've been programmed too. Mm-hmm. And that's what they don't fucking understand. You, you think that program just runs but one way. No, it does not. It goes both ways because think about this. You've programmed black people to have a certain mindset in this country. We're, we're, we're starting to come out of it, but you've also programmed white people to have a certain mindset in this country that they're superior, that everything they do is right. That, um, everyone else is beneath them. You could have the lowest of the lowest of the lowest and still think they're better than the highest, the highest, whoever that's Mm -hmm. programming. So until they uh, get rid of that programming, but a lot of them don't want to, because if they do, then their world comes crashing down. Mm -hmm. But for us, we just need to take that. I don't know if it was the red pill or the blue pill that woke you up, but whichever (laughs) pill it was, more of us need to take that 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 pill that is being offered on a daily basis but some people don't want to take the pill because they like the matrix and that's what's kind of scary about it all is because you know especially in the industry that we work in in the film industry and Mm -hmm. even just in media industry in any arena we're still finding that difficult to be true to to what we want to say either with our art or you know through our own opinions in our mouths and you know are people going to like us based on, you know, what, what you say and what your viewpoint is. And it's, 
it's very difficult to answer, I think for some folks to answer the questions of like, why you, why now? Why are you, why are you telling the story? Why, mm-hmm. why are you making this film? And I think it gets difficult for people to actually find, figure out what that why is because mm-hmm. they're not, they're not staying authentic. Mm-hmm. So the story isn't authentic. Oh, it's because I feel like there should be like more, you know, voices of color out there or X, Y, and Z. And it's like, we end up being this like boilerplate, like broken record. We're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what can we personally add? And I feel like that is the number one piece is to kind of deprogram that area out and know that we are all individually having something very useful and very poignant mm-hmm. to say and to put out into that world. And I think that this movie does that. I mean, this is a, it's a long running movie, <laughs> Oh yeah. but there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack with that. And I think that there's never a point in the movie where you're just like, Oh God, like, you know, this is going on forever. And there's just like dead space. But I feel like within this movie, you have so much with not only his journey, but you know, when he's in jail, he, he's a gangster. And then in jail, he, you know, discovers the nation of Islam and he goes out on this pilgrimage and he's, you know, helping to, to convert to Islam and, and it changes his life and Mm -hmm. it wakes up a lot of people from not necessarily the doldrums, but also that type of programming. And I think that even though we're looking at a black activist, Mm -hmm there's so much more in that movie to talk about being yourself and true to yourself and speaking your truth, no matter who is listening and who is around outside of that piece. What do you feel in your opinion is the allegory of this movie? What do you feel that this movie is trying to say? Oh gosh. For, for me, um, that old saying to thine own self be true. Yeah. For me, that's that's what it is, because if you remember, and sometimes it, it, it takes a journey to really discover the truth. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, when he was in America, he had a very limited picture of the world and of people overall. But again, that was basically because of his environment and mm-hmm. the, the, the people that he he was around and the people that he dealt with white and black but then if you remember when he said he went to mecca and he's sitting down with blonde hair blue-eyed people and they're sitting down to fellowship and he was like wait a minute my truth is expanding mm-hmm. so now i have to rethink my truth because when he was coming out of the courthouse that time and the young lady runs up to him and she says i want to help what can i do and he says nothing Mm-hmm. And then years later, he said he regretted that, but that was before he went to Mecca. And then when he came back from Mecca, he was like, see, now I understand that it's going to take more than just people that look like me to solve this problem. And that was a hard realization to come to yeah. because of everything that had been done to him by the very people that he now knew could be possible allies. So. Mm-hmm he had to really learn that truth. And when he learned that truth, that's when he ran into problems with the nation of Islam. Mm -hmm. Because then I'm like, oh, see, now you're a traitor. He was like, no, I'm not a traitor, but even you guys didn't tell me the full truth. Yeah. So 
he had to learn his truth. And I think that's the lesson, the biggest lesson that I took from that film is that you definitely have to be true to yourself and that sometimes learning the entire truth can be painful. It, it can be cathartic. It can be painful. It can be dangerous, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's something that you have to learn. So that, yeah. that is the biggest lesson that I took from that movie that you gotta be true to yourself. Yeah, this has been good. This has been such a good talk and I'm so happy that we're doing that you chose this movie because there's so much that we could, I mean, we could have just sat here and ran down the whole movie and this is what mm -hmm. happened and this happened and this happened, and this happened, but it's such an expansive body of work. Even Alex Haley's uh, work with that and Spike's interpretation of that work. It's, it's put us in a space where we're stuck between two worlds, where we're starting to find out that in that truth and in that authenticity, we're able to make great gains as individuals but we're also stuck in that loop where it's just like, but we need to be accepted still mm -hmm. by, for lack of a better term, by any means necessary, we need to have, be able to have our foot in the door. We need to be likable enough for those powers that be to say, you know, we want your perspective as opposed to just saying you're qualified. Um, and I think that that, unfortunately, I feel like we still have a ways to go with that, but the more that we are, apt to bet on ourselves and be vocal about what our gifts are and what we what our boundaries are and mm -hmm. I think that we're in a really good position in this point in time to really speak to what our boundaries are mm -hmm. and what we will tolerate and what we will not tolerate and who we want to work with and what the what we want to work with us and the projects that we want to put out and I, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine we're both writers of color and there's been a lot of prompts and, and uh, contests for diverse writers, BIPOC writers. And we've asked the question, now, when you say you want writers, you know, black and black and indigenous people of color, that is what you're looking for. And you're, you're taking script submissions, story submissions from that grouping of people. Now, do you want to see what you deem black stories or do you just want a story that is written by BIPOC? Because they're never one and the same. No. Or are you expecting just kind of black trauma porn or ghetto stories? Because you feel like that's what's hot right now. That's selling. That's going to be the new Candyman. That's going to be the new Fences. It's going to be something. Mm -hmm. we, need, we need that. And I feel like we're in a really big struggle right now because not only do the stories that you know that fall into that marginalized group falls into you know we're trying to tell we're just trying to tell stories mm -hmm. some of them some of them are funny some of them don't mean anything at all some of them are dramas some of them are romantic comedies like we're not being able to tell those stories because our trauma sells a lot of tickets mm -hmm. so I think that that's a battle that we're still trying to to win because like I said, it's never the same thing. Like the, I always, the call for black stories is the call for black pain. But see, the interesting thing about that is why do we keep allowing ourselves to be pimped like that? Because, and, and I had a talk with my mentor about this um, because I was in a room with, with some black screenwriters and they were talking about 
when they would send their scripts to people to do coverage, but these were um, not people of color reading their mm -hmm. scripts, and mm -hmm. they would come back with these crazy notes, and the black people were like, "Well, you didn't get, you don't get it, right?" So why do we keep running into that wall where, well, we want this, we want this, we want this, but do you even understand what it is when I hand it to you? Right. So I think right. what really, and see, we, we really need to, 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 to have a reckoning with this. I understand everybody wants to get to Hollywood. I get it. I understand that. But do you want to get to Hollywood or do you want to tell a good story? Or do you want to tell your story? And sometimes telling your story will, well, a lot of times telling your story will take you outside of Hollywood. But here's the beauty of it. The way streaming platforms are set up today, you don't even need to go there. Mm -hmm. I know so many people like Public Enemy, you know, fuck Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You don't even need to go there to make a phenomenal living. There's a brother I know, um, filmmaker Sean Mathis, killing it, killing it. <laughs> and, 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 and the young lady I mentioned earlier, Tamika, and so many others. So we kind of need to get out of that, that headspace that it, the only way for me to do this now is to go through Hollywood. You have the channel, you got all black, you got Aspire, you got OWN, you have all of these different avenues. You got Tyler Perry Studios, then a brother from uh, Marvel. Anthony Mackie? He just bought 20 <laughs> acres of land to open yeah. his own, to build his own. So, okay, so there are so many ways to skin this cat now why do you keep going to someone with hat in hand mm -hmm. telling you how to narrate your story? And I'll close with this. We saw a man get on stage and strike another man mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And he learned a valuable lesson when he did that. Because over the ensuing week, CAA said they were going to drop him. Netflix stopped negotiating on a film that they were going to do with him. They halted talks for another bad boys and all this other stuff. So you had one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. And they said, we're not going to do anything with you right now. And he is one of the most powerful black men in Hollywood. But here's the thing. You sitting at somebody else's table. Mm -hmm. Now you have all your own stuff, but you sitting at somebody else's table. Mm -hmm. So He's sent me a saying to myself, well, I'll be damned. I'm in the billionaire club. I done made these people all this money. So why do we keep running to these people when at any given time, for any given reason, they can shut off the faucet? Whereas opposed to owning your own IP and having control of it and doing the stories that you want to do and putting it where you want to put it and keeping the vast majority of the money in your pocket and hiring the people that you want on your set that look like you. Mm -hmm. And see, that's what, but it goes back to that programming. We're thinking, or so, well, I'm not, but so many are thinking that that's the only way that I can do that. And that's where the business side comes in. Yeah. And you need to learn this business and to see, well, what are all of my options? Mm -hmm. So I think when more of us get to that point and, and get out of that lane of fear, because a lot of it has to do with fear. If I don't do it this way, then I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. So once we get out of that lane of fear and, and, and just not understanding how you operating as a business entity works, you're going to keep running into that wall. You heard it here, folks.
it here and like i said before uh floyd has been my mentor through uh, the incredible start with eight program which is really there to help to to elevate uh women of color and to help them navigate the industry whether it be like through education or placement or are just really helping us know the business side of things and i'm indebted to floyd because i follow his uh, podcast and I watch it. He is like a little social media butterfly. He is everywhere. So on that note, Floyd, can you tell the folks where they can find you and your work? Well, it's really simple. If you, if you Google Floyd Marshall Jr. And that's my tip <laughs> for the day, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a content creator in this space, use your real name so people can find you easily. But if you Google Floyd Marshall Jr., everything that I do pops up. But uh, I have a, uh, a podcast, a conversation with Floyd Marshall Jr., where I interview phenomenal women of color in this film space. We've opened it up to, to men, but it's primarily a podcast where we um, interview dynamic women of color. And I actually had the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing Mo last week on a very important episode dealing with mental health. So uh, that episode should be dropping any day now. So much and I, yeah, I can be found on um, Instagram, Floyd Marshall Jr. Um, let me see, Twitter, Floyd Marshall Jr. Clubhouse, Floyd Marshall Jr. <laughs> LinkedIn, Floyd Marshall Jr. And um, I also just dropped my merch line because I'm, I'm, I'm very big into um, positive um, thinking, personal development, and po personal development and positive affirmations. So uh, that website is a conversation with Floyd Marshall Jr. I'm going to give it to you one more time. The <laughs> website is a conversation with Floyd Marshall Jr. .com, and you can go in there and see some dope merchandise. But yeah, if you just Google my name, everything will pop up. That is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it I simple, mean, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, geez, how do you, when do you sleep? <laughs> um... From nine at night to three thirty in the morning. Then well, I'm we up. better get going because you better I'm start cool. brushing I'm good. your teeth. No, I'm cool. I'm on. good. <laughs> <laughs> this has been so good, but I'm so glad that we got to finally talk and have you on, like my side of the podcast. But also, you know, speaking about this movie, there's so, like I said before, there's so much more that we can glean from it as people of color in this industry, and so much work we need to do internally if we're expecting um, a difference of approval or anything different externally for us in this industry. There's gotta be a lot of changes we have to make and especially starting with our boundaries and, and what we wanna do and how we wanna get our work out there. So I'm so glad that you came on today and we got to talk about this. So this is been, yes. This yes. great. I hope I ain't scared nobody. Uh, who cares? <laughs> they be high. Who cares? All right, <laughs> folks, well, we will see you next week.